0: On nerds on history.
1: You guys are sick f-
0: You know, the Russians beat us
2: to the punch and started this whole thing with what?
1: Sputnik. Sputnik.
2: Guys, we got an email from NASA. What? NASA? They need us to fix a space probe.
0: What? That makes sense. I can't believe they're sending us a Approaching the International Space Station now. Brian, prepare for docking procedures.
2: Docking procedures, um, right. Uh, question, yes. Uh-huh. Do any of you, um, read Cyrillic? <sighs> All right, well,
0: that was a close one. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for saving our lives. Uh, how did you manage to dock the Soyuz, by the way?
1: Oh, I know how to read Russian. I saw gravity. I'm totally Sandra Bullock.
0: Oh, that makes sense. We're doing this, right? Yeah. Ready to go? Everyone totally. it up? Yep. Brian, pressurize my suit. Uh. Mm. Mm. OK, Sarah, pressurize um. my suit. Mm. All right, thank you. OK, opening the airlock now. Sarah, focus.
1: Sarah? Mm, I'm stuck in space!
0: I know, but I need you to focus! Oh, Alright, All right. everyone just kind of aim towards the probe and just gently press your thrusters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. Alright, coming up to it. Come up it's to, 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 to thrust. it. Thrust. Brian, focus, focus. Alright, grab on it now! Huh? Alright, Brian, you're closest. you got to fix this thing. Okay. All right, I'll tell you All what right. to do. Okay. Alright, <clears throat> first thing you need to do. Is uh, take that wrench you got there? Yep. And you're gonna very, very gently unscrew the access nut. Brian, it was the exact opposite
2: of gently.
1: Oh God.
2: <sighs> Zero gravity environment. What can I say? Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, we, it's fine. We got this. So you see that little that little knobby right there? Go mm-hmm. ahead and just turn that eh, just a little to the left. Okay. That was to the right, and that was a lottle. Um, darn. Oh, darn. <sighs> oh, it's okay. You know what? Don't worry about it, guys. We've got one last chance to do this, all this right? it, Brian. We just, Brian, we need you to just, okay, if you could just reach in there hey guys, and... you're just, just,
2: just gonna just... punch it. No, no, I'm I'm just no, gonna punch Brian. It. That should no, feel it. No. No. That's, that's bad.
0: Don't do that. Brian, look, I just need you to focus,
2: and I need you to use your head. Right, headbutt. Got it. No! Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty.
1: I'm Sarah Ashley.
2: And I am Russian Cosmonaut! Also known as... I am
0: Eric Brickmont, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! I am not a Russian cosmonaut. I've never crashed anything into anything at all. Not even once. Fantastic. I know. But
1: you know what you are... You are our resident expert on space probes and space exploration.
0: That is true. That is true.
1: And frankly, I am really, really excited to hear the second half of this riveting tale.
0: I honestly, even as as excited as I am about, you know, space exploration, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was going to be as exciting as last episode actually turned out to be. Yeah, Yeah, I know. We had to go to space. It was crazy. It was fun. And thank you for joining me on this journey. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, We've got actually a lot of fun with this episode coming up because we're going to talk a lot about Mars, Uh which people have always been able to get behind, even though we haven't always been able to get to Mars very successfully. We'll talk about that. Uh, Excuse Uh, me.
2: I believe it's known as Barsoom.
0: Okay. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Really? Does
2: not... No. Sorry. You know, you make one Edgar Rice Burroughs joke and everyone just looks at you like you have three heads.
1: So space probes...
2: Yes, Exactly.
0: Uh, and after we talk about Mars, uh-huh. then we're going to talk a little bit about some more of the more uh, current and recent exploration of the, uh, of the solar system uh, with some really neat stuff going on. We, we, we kind of alluded to it last time, some of the things that uh, our, our younger listeners might also remember as they have happened just in the past, you know, 15, 20 years. So we got some good stuff to talk about. But, but bef- we're
1: making history now.
0: We are. And we're going to talk a lot about that too. Cool. Before we do this, I want to tell you a story. Okay. Okay. It has to do with probes, uh-huh. but not of the type out in space, but rather of the probes here on Earth.
1: Okay. And a
0: particularly racist one that I encountered I'm... in a parking garage.
1: Oh, this I'm thing. sorry. I,
0: I can't <laughs> just hold on. I mean, we're talking about technology. We're talking about robotics, in a sense. Is that a probe? I have to bring not this up. It's a probe. It's a robot. Cur- it's a security robot. It is, but it just... It, It left such an impact, I have to mention it on the show. No, I I absolutely... Oh,
2: that's right. For a second, I thought, like, you found a or something.
1: (laughs) Point being, tell the
0: story, Eric. So if you folks happen to find yourself at the Stanford Shopping Center in, of course, Palo Alto, California, and you are on the second level of the parking garage, you will find security robots. These little security robots that kind of look like... The ones
1: that basically there's a big to-do because Google released these things not too long ago they've been monitoring the Google campus for
0: a right, while right. So. so these things they kind of look like a cross between a Dalek and a gumdrop uh-huh. uh, and they, you know minus the plunger right? minus the plunger right exactly and my wife and I who were just going there to shop walked by noticed them were very intrigued went over took some photos along with several other people nearby mm-hmm. and uh, nope no problem everything was going just fine until my wife walks up to the robot and it flips out it's got these blue lights on it. They, they turned red, like robots in movies that are evil mm-hmm. always turn red, and an alarm went off. Uh, I thought yeah. it interesting, though, because I looked around, I noticed the only not-white person was my wife. We've established this on the show before. My wife is originally from Mexico. I believe this robot was racist.
1: Yes, because it was... A white family did not have any issues. And they were
0: walking up to it, taking pictures with it, hanging out with it, no problem.
1: You didn't have any issues with it. Not
0: at all. Got within a couple of feet.
1: And then after you guys, an Asian family went up. Yep. No issues. No
0: issues. And here's the thing. I started to videotape as it was happening, and it stopped. It stopped. (laughs) It was totally cool. The video lasts for one minute and six seconds. As soon as I stopped videotaping it... It started again with its racist rant and it going off with this alarms and the red lights and all this. And Martha and I, we couldn't believe it. So we walked back to our car and from the other side of the car, then I take another video of it while it's flipping out. Uh And I got that on video. And another family also of the Caucasian persuasion walks over there and it's totally fine with them. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, we need to stop racism in robots. Racist
1: programming
0: racist programming now the funny thing is this was this was security probe number four security probe number five was right next to it disabled and i have a theory i believe number five got wind of number four's racist attitude and tried to put it into it and it ended up deactivating it
2: mm. yeah future drama drama folks i know
0: so let this be a lesson to everybody we need to remove racism from everything yeah i mean including our robots. let's not
1: teach our security robots to racially profile shall That's we right.
0: Now that I've completely derailed the show, let's get back to it.
1: Okay. So where did we leave off last time?
0: So uh, the last time we left off with Voyager 1 and 2 leaving the solar system, soon to leave the heliosphere to go into interna- international space, sorry, interstellar <laughs> space. <laughs> international
1: space where all laws are gone.
2: <laughs> you can gamble, you can drink. <laughs> Snow holds barred, ladies and gentlemen. No gravity either. Hoo-hoo. So essentially, uh, we we put an end
0: to the exploration of the nineteen. 19- 70s of the outer solar system, and now it's time to focus a little bit closer to the inner solar system for a little bit, right? So, we have those lovely rocky little planets like Earth, Venus, Mercury, uh, and of course, Mars on the farthest outskirts of there. And for a long time, Mars has been a source of fascination and, and wonder and discovery since telescopes were invented, and more powerful telescopes could focus and see what they were thinking were features on the Martian surface. And we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes before, the misconception of what they were actually seeing, these optical illusions that alluded to the possibility of intelligent life on the planet in the form of maybe canals or, you know, hyper uh, freeways or whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Some form of, of transportation system on the surface of the planet. Further misconceptions came along with Uh, These differences in the kind of changes and hues of the planet, making them think that maybe these were different seasons on the planet and different, you know, states of vegetation and growth. Mm -hmm. So obviously people have been kind of pondering and wondering, could there be intelligent life on Mars? And Mm -hmm. our only way to really find out for sure was to get closer and take some pictures. And as we talked about in the previous episode, we did that. We did these flyby missions, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But they didn't really reveal what we were hoping for. Instead, there was this kind of cold, barren, seemingly lifeless landscape for us to to go and further explore if we so wish. And the Russians definitely took that on as being their big focus for the 1960s. They really wanted to get to Mars. And they sent a lot of stuff to Mars. And, you know, they had the the, the, the very, I don't know how I want to say this, um, honor, I guess they had the honor of being the first man-made object to get to Mars.
1: But they crashed into
0: it. But they crashed into it, as we established. (laughs) So like those Russians. In the previous episodes. And it's not so much that they meant to crash into it, it's just they... they, Eric, do they ever really mean to crash? They just just wanted to approach it very, very quickly.
1: We're just saying, Russia really likes crashes. It's why everybody's got a GoPro on their dashboard. Years
2: (laughs) years from now, we're going to find, like just declassified documents from the russian space program and we're going to find out that their launching system is essentially a cannon
1: yep uh
0: so getting to mars as we've all learned is not the easiest thing to do landing on mars is even more difficult uh but we have succeeded and we've succeeded very very successfully from the 1970s onward And we thank 1975 for being the year that we were actually able to land something, uh, or I should say, get to Mars and prepare to land something on on the surface. And I'm talking about the Vikings 1 and 2 probes. Now, these were a huge step forward technologically for NASA. They were actually pretty large landers. They had a lot of instrumentation on them, over 34 instruments uh, with the two of them combined, right? So you're dealing with a lot of technology. And uh, after a lot of failed attempts to kind of get stuff there. We finally figured it out and we finally almost made it happen. And here's the worst part. We got there. We got into orbit. We got ready to go down. And we realized that we were in the absolute worst possible place to do it. Because now we were actually closer. So we could take some more detailed pictures of the surface of Mars for the first time. And we had these great proposed landing sites uh, in theory. But actually getting them down there was going to prove to be pretty damn difficult. So... It was kind of heartbreaking because after getting there, it took all this time then to figure out where they were actually going to put them down. Uh, finally, they settled on it, and July twentieth, nineteen seventy six, Viking One made its landing successfully, did not crash, did not burn, and September third, nineteen seventy six, Voy- uh, sorry, Viking Two followed in suit. Now,
1: and this is and the Voyager or sorry, the Viking lander is where we got the first soil samples. That's right. right?
0: That's the first time we ever analyzed the the soil of Mars. Now, Mm -hmm. the Russians were all set and ready to beat us to this a few years earlier. In fact, they had successfully landed probes on Mars, and we got the first almost picture back from them. Uh, the, The first probe they successfully landed only lasted for about 14 seconds. And tried to transmit a photo back, and there was a lot of debate for years what we were actually looking at. And yeah. you know, it's half a photo. There's a whole bunch of black, and there's something on the top, and you might think it's like the horizon, but further examination has proven that it's all just kind of static, Garble. and garbled photo. Okay. So there's nothing the, really and that substantial. Was, that
1: was Mars three in 1971, right? That's right.
0: Okay. So they got really, really, really close, and then they did it again, and they got really, really close, but it it crashed on landing and wasn't going to be able to to do anything. So Viking was the first real viable, super awesome probe to actually make it on the planet because now we got a chance to see the surface of Mars and your imagination just goes wild. I mean, the photos are still, they still hold up, even though we've sent so many more probes of such more sophisticated, you know, photographic equipment there, they still really hold up and there's these really beautiful striking red colors of the red planet and you just can't you can't you can't argue with that it's impressive Hmm. it's very impressive (coughs) but that was really just to get our feet wet right getting to mars is cool but people had long wondered once we get there can we go and explore can we really explore because rovers have been sent to the moon and that worked really successfully during the space race era right but would we be able to do the same thing With Mars and it was going to take a long time before we were really confident to get there and a lot more failures before we were actually able to make it work but uh, we did see going forward we're going to jump forward a little bit in time here to 1992 with Mars Observer which was supposed to be the next great thing to Mars it was going to orbit the planet it was going to provide a much more detailed survey of the planet like we've been doing with the moon Uh, it cost us 1 billion dollars to put it up there
2: did they and book a movie star? I'm just saying <laughs> So if it's the follow up, you've got more money. Right, right. More hype, you yep. need to book a bigger star. So as the villain. They got Clint Eastwood. Oh, okay. That's pretty
0: good. But oh. he had another
2: arrangement, he double booked. Ah, scheduling conflicts. Yeah. Son of a uh, gun.
0: So they got a young carrot top who <laughs> was doing some great stand up at the time. And, you know, they figured I I Red Hair. Going. Red Planet. Right? Uh, and uh, unfortunately, because of just the, the level of of obnoxiousness that comes off of him, it caused the probe to malfunction. You never go into space with a prop act. You I'm don't. Just <laughs> you just don't. I'm just saying. Uh, and as a result, it was a $1 billion failure. Ugh. It got to Mars. It was great. It was all ready to go and uh, and it failed to do anything after that. So it's did just, it
1: just die when it got there? Yeah, it uh. failed to
0: send back any kind of any kind of confirmation and signal. We knew it was there, but we just it, it just wasn't working. It didn't power on. So that sucked, and it was a big, big hit to NASA because it seemed like we finally got things right, and then this went and went really, really wrong. So thanks, Carrot Top. Uh but that's okay. Because we would be able to save it. And we'd save it in such a spectacular way that we've just been sending bigger and better things to Mars ever since. And of course, I'm talking about Mars Global Surveyor, which also went with Mars Pathfinder. They were a pair, a couple. Global Surveyor pretty much took over from where Observer failed, right? Its goal was to do the exact same thing. And it actually continued in operation until 2006. Wow. There's another probe that's now since out... Outplayed it in terms of its uh, longevity, but it was there for quite a long time, and it did a lot of really amazing things. I mean, it watched the weather patterns on Mars, it examined its atmosphere, it examined its magnetic field, and its its very weak magnetic field, which which is why Mars is the way it is right now. You know, it's constantly bombarded with solar radiation. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it wasn't for that weak magnetic field, chances are the atmosphere of of Mars would be able to sustain a much wetter place, and as a result. Mars would probably look a lot more like Earth, but um, just just couldn't do it. it. Couldn't live up to its potential and fizzled out a long time ago. Mm. But we wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for that, or you know, very long-lasting probes like uh, Mars Global Surveyor. Now, what's cool is it had a little friend that kind of accompanied it along the way, mm. and uh, this was Sojourner, which was our our little friend, who little rover, first rover on Mars, very small. You know, wasn't meant to operate for very long. Wasn't meant to do very much. It was Mm -hmm. a proof of concept mission. But look where we are now as a result of it. And I remember as a kid being so excited. We went around our computer. We had a Mac, uh, what was it? It was LC2 with a color monitor, Uh right? It was wicked awesome. We had... A 56k modem.
1: What?
0: Because we we threw our 28k in the in the garbage. Was cutting crap. edge. Oh in
2: 1995. Yeah.
0: And I remember sitting there waiting for about ten minutes for this tiny little movie to download. And when it did, we watched this itty bitty little probe roll out onto the sands of Mars in color. And we watched it before it even got on television. And it blew my freaking mind. It was so cool to think we had sent something there about the size of one of my remote control cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was capable of doing essentially the same thing, but millions and millions of miles away. And I thought that was so cool.
1: Yeah, because it was the, wasn't just like the first operational rover, right? The one right. that we could control.
0: That's right. And it used a really unique method of airbags to actually land. Uh, because the thought was, all right, well, we can send it down with parachutes, but we're not quite sure if that's going to be very precise for us, but we were really good at crashing stuff on the surface. We learned how to do that from the Russians. So, (laughs) but what if we provided it with airbags? So it had a place to, you know, gently kind of, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, take the impact of the, absorb the impact and then just kind of come to a place and unfold and then go and do its little thing. Mm -hmm. So big, big deal. It was a really, really huge deal. Uh, and then we started losing stuff again. NASA had a couple more very disastrous uh, launches in, 1980, in 1999 and 1998 uh, with the Mars Climate Orbiter and the Mars Polar Lander. Mm. Both were failures, very mm. expensive failures. And again, NASA was under a close microscope. Why do we keep spending lots of money if we can't successfully get to Mars every single time? Right. And this has been one of the biggest hurdles that NASA has always faced when it comes to government funding, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do it successfully and cheaply uh, and not waste the taxpayers' money? And I, I know this is my opinion. I know I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But folks, building these spacecraft is just as important as sending them out to do the actual mission, okay? You learn a lot in that process. You have to go back and periodically refine that process. So, you know, even if it doesn't make it and doesn't make it to its objective, which sure is disappointing, you still learn a lot in the process. Just throwing it out there. Okay. Okay. Thank we you. We heard you. Thank you for the message. Take a deep do you breath. feel better? I do. Great. I do, actually. I feel a lot better. Thank you. The twitching in my eye, the murderous rage, it's, it's gone. Yeah.
2: I uh, don't no you know. The <laughs> uh,
0: Let's talk a little bit, though, about... Mars exploration rover. Okay. Because ooh,
1: oh.
0: ooh, I get tingles. Spirit and Opportunity. Those names sound familiar to anybody? Yes. Yes, Brian. They sound like America. Oh right. Yes. <laughs> 2003 marked probably one of the most exciting periods for you know Mars exploration. Period. Right. Because not only did we send one rover. We sent two.
1: What? What?
0: And they were actually the size of like uh, a really big dog, or maybe like a really really tiny car, uh, somewhere in between that. I know. Somewhere
1: <laughs> in between a Great Dane and a Volvo.
0: <laughs> I think we have our episode title. <laughs> um, they're 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 not huge. They're like a they're golf cart sized, if you will. Maybe a little smaller than that. But what they did was extraordinary because the planned mission was only 90 days. Okay. That's it. They're going to land them in two different areas. Their goal was to look for geological evidence of water on the Martian surface. And they were only expected to last for three months. That was it. But they were like the Energizer bunnies. They right? just kept going. And and going, going, and going, going. And going. And one of them is still going to this day. Really? Opportunity is actually still in operation today clearly
2: it sees that one (laughs) Uh, this is all i have to contribute
0: guys
2: (laughs) and you're doing a great job at it
1: being airy hey now
0: uh essentially spirit you know gave it its its best it kept going until 2009 which is you know pretty impressive uh unfortunately it got stuck and Opportunity is still working, but one of its wheels is jammed up, so it's literally just kind of dragging itself across the Martian surface, just not, leaving just, like, just leaving trails. It's so. not
1: like going in circles or anything. No. It's, no. it's not like, like the
2: Long John Silver of space probes. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's not like a Roomba that just got stuck in the corner. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yar, Opportunity. Hey, those are really
2: reliable. Okay, uh, I,
1: yeah, that's true. I'm just
2: yar, saying. young Opportunity. You be smart as paint, yars. <laughs> smart as paint, yar. Still going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, You really have that little... Brian's like, I haven't
1: talked in a while.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, though. I think there was something in the water I drank today. It tasted funny.
0: Anywho, the point is, they (laughs) went there and they're still conducting pretty amazing science. And this is pretty impressive because, you know, during the Martian winters, they weren't quite sure how well they were going to hold up. They are solar powered. So, you know... As the Martian winter picks up, there's some pretty serious storms that kick up on, on you know the, the Martian surface. And they deposit a lot of dust and, and what have you. And, you know, they just kind of literally brushed it off and kept on going, which is pretty cool. In 2004, Opportunity actually discovered geological evidence that water once flowed near uh, kind of a rocky outcrop
2: uh, on Mars. Yes. So how, I think is the question that would come up. How are they able to prove that water was had run through there? Geology
0: is your key to it all okay? okay you can see the the evidence of water left behind in in the soil and in the rocks and the evidence of chlorine uh, located near what looked like a very ancient riverbed okay proved that there was once at one point in mars's ancient history swimming pools swimming
2: pools <laughs> and yes, movie stars
0: <laughs> chlorinated
2: swimming pools uh and so you're, not, what you're really saying is that mars was like beverly hills california
0: yeah pretty much <laughs> With plastic surgeons and everyone, Uh, so uh, it's it's believed that the ancient Martians actually had the highest rate of breast augmentation of any (laughs) other ancient alien species that once inhabited the. Is uh, that how they died out? It is true. Yes, Uh, silicon poisoning is very very disappointing. So, but quite seriously, silicone poisoning. Silicone 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 poisoning. (laughs) Well, they were silicon-based life forms. Oh, so it just it
2: it, it just that's never going to work. Well, there you go. Uh, so quite seriously though, so mineral deposits—they found traces of mineral deposits that didn't seem to make sense to be there. So therefore, they could—well,
0: they made postulate. sense to be there
2: if it was an ancient riverbed. So, exactly. So they postulated that the way it could have gotten there was by water flowing. Or I
0: should actually say it was actually on the, the crater or on the rim of an ancient lake. Uh, but rivers would you know, flowed into that, obviously. So
2: got it. So you—they were also able to find like geological indentations in. In the Earth, that would have made sense to have been a body of water.
0: There's a lot, even looking from orbit, that indicates that there was once water flowing on the surface. There's there's a lot of indication for that. Very ancient water, though. We're talking about you know billions of years ago. So this was this is not any time recent. However, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which got into orbit in 2005, has actually shown evidence of some sort of flowing liquid on the surface of Mars. Okay, could it be water? Could it be liquid methane? Uh, Difficult to say, but there seems to be actual flows on the surface of Mars. Liquid
1: methane. So it's actually like the the swamp and labyrinth.
2: Or maybe. Yes. Maybe it was soda pop. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen,
0: if you hear any weird cuts, it's because we decided
2: to cut Brian out of the episode. Absolutely. (laughs) My brief fleeting moment of intelligence. Mired in stupidity now.
1: (laughs) Okay. It's not like Wonka Factory, okay? (laughs) Oh, there's no. It's not made of candy. There's no soda (laughs) potters.
0: Can we get back onto the topic, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. Thank.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry. This is kind of amusing. You know
0: that that murderous feeling that disappeared. Yeah, it's suddenly back. I don't know why. I Urge to it. kill, just get rising. Just you, just get <laughs> used to it when it
1: kind of goes to a steady stream.
2: Oh, yeah, okay.
1: it, it's just kind of like your ears always ringing. Hmm. that's what that's
2: like. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah, the expert on murderous rage, <laughs> our local sociopath. <laughs> Go on. All right, uh, <laughs> I will
0: say though that that Spirit and Opportunity did so much for NASA. They showed that you could get a huge investment out of what you're putting into it way bigger than anyone ever thought. And you take all those failed missions that happened before that, and you consider how much spirit and opportunity have made up for that. You kind of break even in my opinion. Uh, And you know, there were a lot of failed missions that happened. One of them Beagle 2, which was actually sent by the UK uh, and the European space agency was recently rediscovered by Mars reconnaissance orbiter that is still doing its thing. uh, And, they, they they found where it had failed you know it kind of came down and it landed, but it failed to deploy completely. but the camera was so high in resolution on this thing that it was able to actually pinpoint where it was and take a snapshot of it so they didn't completely fail they landed mm-hmm. and they started to unfold they just didn't unfold completely
2: oh. and
0: that was cool though for the beagle team to be able to to look at that and know that they made it to mars they made it to the surface they almost got it going and that's a lot better than never knowing what happened to it and also that it was a complete and total failure that like right. it crashed and burned or skipped off the atmosphere or something so you know it's funny how some of our successes continue to kind of verify that not all of these failures were complete failures either yeah, which is kind of cool. Uh, the big thing that's going on, oh, I'll, I'll just mention very briefly because we don't have time to go into in too much detail. But in two thousand and seven, the Phoenix Lander uh, confirmed the presence of ice water.
1: Okay. In the poles right.
0: of of uh, the the Martian surface, and mm-hmm. we we always kind of suspected that because you can see the icy pole caps on Mars if you look at any of the photos of the planet, right? But we weren't sure if it was water or what exactly we were looking at, uh, and we proved in fact that it was water. Which is good. Now, Curiosity, which is on the surface of Mars right now, is a whole other piece of glorious scientific wonder.
1: Uh, Yeah, because just of how it was deployed when it got into the gotten to the realm of mars anyway right is pretty remarkable it
2: kind of landed like a badass yeah (laughs) Yeah. i'm just saying it's like they can't write action sequences this good it it was
1: like the point break of science seriously
2: (laughs) it literally came into the atmosphere flaming and then it's like these badass parachutes come out and it makes this perfect landing well, what it, it, the video that you can go and find on YouTube is called Seven Minutes of Terror." Oh my god! And yeah. that's
0: that's the time that it takes for it to to transmit back the information about what's happening. There's a seven minute delay that happens between Mars and Earth, and approximately the same amount of time to actually, you know, land. And it's it's terrifying because you're screaming into the Martian atmosphere, which is pretty thin as it is. So there's not a lot to slow you down, right? Mm-hmm. Then it goes ahead and kind of deploys the, the, the main probe, but it's got to slow itself down as much as possible. So it's got these absolutely enormous parachutes that are designed to you know, withstand some pretty extreme G-forces. And that can only get it slow enough because to make it really precise and land it exactly like they wanted. They abandoned the whole um, you know, uh, airbag solution that they had done with all the previous rovers. And instead, there's the sky crane. And the name just, ooh, it's <laughs> so cool. And it is. And it's it's this, this this crane. And it kind of lowers down the probe and then all these you know flaming you know thrusters shoot off to slow its descent even further. And it gently touches down and the sky crane releases and then flies off and crashes and burns about a mile away mm-hmm. in the spectacular just explosion of whatever remaining fuel is on board. It, you yeah. mean, and then I,
1: everybody back on Earth is waiting and waiting and waiting to get confirmation on all yeah. that. Yeah,
2: guys, this is some Michael Bay type. <laughs> this
0: was, this was, I believe, going to be incorporated into Furious Seven, <laughs> oh, and I think they're actually saving it for what I believe they're now going to do with a with a Furious Eight, and I believe they're actually going to Mars, right? Because uh, it makes it's, sense. it's next logical conclusion in the future. There we go. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Vin Diesel, you know, I mean, he, he is, belongs in space.
2: Yeah, he no. lives my life a quarter mile at yeah. a time. But now I just do it on Mars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you imagine? I'm sorry, tangent. <laughs> you imagine just his car like r- <laughs> revving through the canyons of Mars, running over to the Curiosity rover, <laughs> 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 over to the Curiosity rover, because they can. Yep. Because yeah. they can. because science.
1: And then, for some reason, there's an excessively long runway on Mars too.
2: <laughs> and then the rock shows up again. Yeah, in a spacesuit with a bazooka. Right. Don't know uh, why. As one
0: does.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyway. Anywho, the the point is the the amount of scientific equipment that's on this thing is unprecedented. Uh, it can travel a lot faster and a lot further than any other rover that we've sent there before. It is nuclear powered. So it's not going to, you know, shut down anytime soon. In fact, its batteries could probably last anywhere between 20 or 30 years. That's assuming that the mechanisms on board last that long and it doesn't, you know, like fall into a gully or something like that, which is pretty unlikely. And it is um, pretty badass. It's doing all the stuff that we want it to be doing and it's going to keep doing it. So check back for more. Before we say goodbye to Mars, though, because we've got to move on, uh, I do want to acknowledge something recently that the Russians have done. And that is quite possibly one of the greatest named missions of all time. I am, of course, talking about the Phobos Grunt mission.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, the what?
0: The Phobos I am Grunt mission.
1: Phobos Grunt.
0: Phobos Grunt. Okay. Uh, So this was a very ambitious mission launched on November 8th of 2011. And the idea was that we would go to one of the two moons of Mars. Did you know that Mars had moons? I did not. Phobos and Deimos. Okay. They kind of looked like giant space potatoes. And uh, they were captured moons. They're asteroids that got a little too close and kind of, kind of decided to stick around. And uh, Phobos was prime for extracting some of its materia and then sending that back to Earth. So the idea was land a little orbiter on there. He's going to you know drill some out, put some in a nice little cozy container and then shoot it off back to earth sounds really simple so totally not and in absolutely true russian tradition it crashed it crashed <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it didn't crash on mars it crashed on earth <laughs>
2: it's oh like, we, did it.
0: we did it again oh wait a
2: minute <laughs> we don't just have to crash we said the packet it crashes this in, is expert threat. in
0: all fairness it was an intentional crash uh, very sadly, and this is really sad, and I don't, you know, I feel bad making fun of it because there were a lot of, you know, really hardworking people who spent several years working on this mission, and they had a lot invested in it, and it's terrible to, to to, make fun of it. So I'm, I'm just acknowledging that okay. real quick because, you know, they sent it up, and they lost communication in low Earth orbit, so it didn't mm-hmm. even get a chance to, to do what it needed to do, which God. was, you know get a little gravity assist and fly off to Mars. Uh-huh. And uh, after it being stuck up there for a year and they tried, they tried so hard to reestablish communication and get it working again. is so heartbreaking. Uh, they decided to intentionally bring it down. So that sucks, but it still has credit for having one of the greatest mission names yeah, in yeah, all absolutely. of history. And thanks to guardians of the galaxy. It just, it's so much more relevant. <laughs> right. Now we all know <laughs> Bobo's grunt. Uh, I, I've heard rumors. They're going to try doing it again. So we'll see. We'll see. But I digress. We've talked a lot about Mars. Yes. Let's get back into the outer solar system for a little bit. This is going to be pretty quick. We're going to we're gonna skip through a lot of this. And it's a shame because there's a lot that we could still talk about. But I want to encourage our listeners to go out and discover a lot of this on their own. And whereas in the earlier missions, I really kind of had to paint a picture for you. Nowadays, because of channels like the Discovery Channel and the Science Channel and stuff like that, there's actually a lot of pretty decent documentaries that have been made on yeah. some of these more recent probes. So if you're looking for something pretty easy to digest and absorb, because uh, there's a lot that we're going to go over, I encourage you to look at several different uh, Nova specials. Those are always my my ones I suggest you go to first. Nova's good. And then your next step down needs to be anything that's on cable. Um, <laughs> so Anything on cable Yes, said gotcha. with a very disappointing tone But uh, generally they're pretty, pretty well done
2: Might we say that they may have to probe judiciously Through the information out there?
0: Well, considering we've acknowledged sure.
2: that that is the only contribution That you're
0: giving to this episode Yes, Brian, we must say In fact, you must say Excuse me, excuse me Mineral deposits Thank you very much Thank you for making an observa- observation on something you know nothing about. <laughs> but I love you for it. I love you for it.
1: He likes your enthusiasm.
0: Yes, I do. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Galileo. Okay. And no, I'm not talking about Galileo, Ga- Galileo Galley, who I absolutely love and adore, who, you know, 400 some odd years ago started the whole thing about, you know, looking up into space and seeing what's going on up Heliocentricity. There. Yeah.
1: You're but- t- You're talking about the Galileo that- did a first asteroid flyby. Yeah,
0: it did. In 1991. With a very messed up antenna, but it did it. <laughs> That's the important part. Yes. It just did it really, really, really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one problem with Galileo. We'll get to that in a minute.
1: That Galileo drives like your grandma?
0: <laughs> no, it was driving really fast. Oh, it was okay. just communicating really Really slowly. Oh, it's okay. like your grandma trying to figure out email. Oh. And no oh. one's ever shown grandma. Gotcha. So like after 400 failed attempts, you finally have a picture of one of her dogs.
2: <laughs> and somehow she turned on wing things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. As her, uh, as her font.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny because it's real. <laughs> so Just saying, taught
2: computer skills yeah. to elderly people.
1: But that's not all that Galileo did, right? No,
0: no, no, Galileo did a lot in a long time. It was mm-hmm. there for about eight years in the Jovian system, and it did a lot of amazing things.
1: Oh, yeah, the Jovian system, because
0: it did the first orbit of Jupiter. It did. we have done plenty of flyby's of Jupiter, right? So we talked a lot about Pioneers, mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about the Voyager missions, but they never stuck around for a while, right? They just kind of went by and, uh, and, for lack of a better term, kind of hit it and quit it, right? For Galileo, it was time to... <laughs> Stick
2: around. I'm sorry. This time Ladies he had gentlemen, to stay and Eric play. Eric <laughs> just used the terms hit it and quit it in astronomical terms.
1: But, uh, you know, like. Fantastic. But Galileo, like Sir Mix-A-Lot, did not want to hit it and quit it. He'd rather stay and play.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and I appreciate you, Sarah, for taking it to there. Yep. Because you know that I am far too white to do so. Yes. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you.
1: I'm possibly wider than you, but that's all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it works. Okay. Anywho, Galileo, originally called Jupiter Probe 1, which doesn't have a very great, you know, it sounds like a 1970... 1970- it has a very Calculon kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. It. It's a 1970 space uh, sci-fi show kind of named yes. to it. Thank God they renamed it. What is it.
2: the next one? We shall name it Jupiter Probe 2. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's genius. <laughs> So Galileo, of course, named in honor of Galileo Galilei, who discovered the four Jovian moons around Jupiter. Mm -hmm. We talked about that last time. Uh, This fantastic, absolutely extraordinary little spacecraft went out there and was equipped with a lot more scientific instruments than had ever been sent out into the outer solar system before. In particular, it has these amazing high-resolution cameras and you know, was a bit of a shutterbug. We got a lot of really close-up pictures of the Jovian moons. We understood a lot more about Jupiter's atmosphere. We believe that there's actually kind of a liquid ocean beneath the surface of Jupiter, and we're going to prove that soon, hopefully prove it soon, when Juno makes it there. We learned a lot about the largest of these moons, uh, and particularly their possibility for future, you know, exploration and habitation.
2: Wait, back up a yeah. second. You said liquid... Underneath the surface of Jupiter? Yeah, underneath the cloud layer there. There could very well be a liquid ocean. So we, we may determine that it's not really a gas giant. It actually has like a... Well, a it's still it?
0: gas. It's like a liquid
2: gas, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it wouldn't actually have like a surface necessarily, per se.
0: Uh No. No, okay. no, no. I mean, there's probably a rocky core at the center of Jupiter, but there's also this kind of... Murky liquid-like gas that could very well be laying underneath that as well. So we're going to figure out a lot more okay. once Juno gets there, which is one of the more recent probes that will be arriving shortly, and that's going to give us a whole lot more information. Got to wait till 2016 for that one. Okay. Um, but like I said in the last episode, we're going to peer through
2: those clouds and really understand. Yeah, a I mean, bit Jupiter more is about. just fascinating. Like the fact that that red dot is a hurricane that's been happening for how many centuries? We don't know. Yeah. For as long as we've been
0: able to observe Jupiter, it's been raging. As this massive storm, um, you know, yeah, larger than Earth, so it's it's pretty impressive, and it is a really trippy and kind of crazy place. And there's a lot of stuff that we're continuing to discover about Jupiter all the time. But uh, you know, this is also the first time that we saw a comet strike another object, in particular, like a, a gas giant, uh, the Levy Shoemaker comet. <clears> I remember <throat> when that happened? That was a huge thing. Uh, we uh, Galileo observed that, as did the Hubble Space Telescope. And most importantly, was really looking at these moons and discovering that they themselves have the possibility and almost certainty of liquid water oceans beneath them. We're talking about liquid water. Wow. Similar in its composition to salt water and very likely possible to hold life, aquatic life forms. We don't know. We don't know. And- the other funny thing about Jupiter, you know, it's so massive. It puts out... You're Eric, you're playing with my emotions. I know I am, just a little I bit. I want Jovian space fish. You could very well have it. It could very well exist. Fish. And I'm not kidding. There's a very real possibility, particularly on a place like Ganymede. So Ganymede, the largest of the moons, actually larger than Mercury, has a magnetic field. And that's really critical and important because the amount of radiation that's being put off by Jupiter is frying all these moons around them. And would make it very difficult for life as we understand it on our planet to exist. But not impossible. In particular, if there's a magnetic field helping to protect against some of that radiation.
1: Can Jovian Space Fish be like a Doctor Who episode? Because that sounds awesome.
0: It might have been actually in the 1970s. Really? Okay, good. I'd have to go back and review. Jovian Space Sushi. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor would never partake in that. Yeah, probably He'd just have some jelly babies. Yeah.
2: But the master would, wouldn't he? Ooh. That's true. You will order the mugrel.
0: You will
2: obey.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, and bring him wasabi, please. Yes. (laughs) Um, But Ganymede, Europa, Callisto are all potential places for life. More so Ganymede and Europa. And this is big. This is going to be the future of Jovian exploration more and more is the scientific community urging NASA to send something beneath the ice. We need to get down there and we need to explore these, you know, subterranean oceans. We need to figure out what's down there because we know on Earth, if you go down to some of the greatest depths where the pressure is extreme and the heat coming out of thermal vents is, you know, extreme (laughs) i'll just throw it out there it's the only word i got for it right now folks uh Uh, life exists down there microbial life exists the possibility of it existing on these places on these other worlds i think is pretty high let's get out there let's go back to jupiter in a big way let's make it happen yeah yeah agreed Yeah. yeah listeners
2: yeah. All right. Perfect.
1: Yeah, it's go find you, some listener. space flesh eating bacteria and, <laughs> and, and bring it back to Earth, and then we'll all die. That
2: does. That does Spacey also. <laughs> it does also kind of you know ruin my hopes for Jovian space mer people, but you know. <laughs> All We're right. getting into Brian's
1: weird fantasies now. All right. So um, I, what else is going on out there? Well,
0: I just want to say one last thing that I think is very, very responsible. <laughs> Listeners, I am so sorry. One this last This is your first thing.
2: episode. I do say a lot more interesting things than this. <laughs> it's <laughs> this, true. E- we have at least, least three or four exception. episodes that prove that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank sorry, thank you. <laughs> we have <laughs> at least four episodes yeah. where I've yeah. said things that are really smart.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Eric's got a lot to say. Let him say it.
2: Sorry. So I will say this one last thing
0: about Galileo is that's how responsible NASA was knowing that we're going to want to go back out there and search for future life, not wanting to contaminate any of these other worlds with bacteria that could have taken a ride with Galileo and survived through the vacuum of space. It was decided in 2003 after, you know, 14 years in space and eight years doing its thing around Jupiter to crash it into Jupiter, into its clouds and have it, uh, you know, dying a really spectacular death um, at the speed of over 30 miles per second. Whoa. (laughs) Which is kind of fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit.
0: Yeah. So super exciting, super duper, super, 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 duper exciting. Wow. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Magellan real quick. I'm going to go over this one real fast because it is pretty significant to our understanding of Venus, which is back in the inner solar system, right? So join me as we come back to the inner solar system.
1: We're bouncing all over the solar system.
0: You know, you just kind of got to. Okay. Just the way you got to do it. Uh, Magellan was a really interesting... Okay, but
1: Magellan was an extended multi-year orbital exploration of Venus, right? It just kind of did it really, it didn't land, it just kind of circled around? Right, or, okay. it's an
0: orbiter, yeah. but its primary purpose was mapping the surface of Venus. Uh, and it did so by being able to peer through the clouds of Venus and giving us our look of its, of its surface. And that was something that people have been wanting to do for quite a while. And the Russians really tried a lot. They sent a lot of probes down there to try to get pictures, but it wasn't going to give you a comprehensive overview of the planet. Its former volcanism or even potential current volcanism uh, which we're discovering now is a possibility. There might be a little bit of rumbling going on underneath the surface there.
1: And this is all this is all around 1990, right? Yeah.
0: That so 89 happened. is when it left, and uh, it it did most of its stuff in in the early 90s there. Uh, but it continued for several years. I mean, this is a big process, right? Mm-hmm. But what was really cool about this is it proved that aerobraking was a perfectly viable way of slowing down a spacecraft. So aerobraking is actually something that um, had been proposed in science fiction for a long time and proven to to work with with magellan the idea was you can send probes very fast to other planets but when they get there how do you kind of get them to slow down and not just fly right by uh so the trajectory was planned very 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 carefully in order to get it to go into the atmosphere just enough to create some drag and start slowing it down and then get it into orbit that way.
1: Interesting.
0: And if you don't do it right, you're going to screw it all up and it's going to burn up and and you just failed. Horribly. Okay. So it was a bit of a risk, but it proved that aerobraking could be a very successful technique and it has been used uh, in the future ever since then. So Magellan, I'm just kind of giving it a real quick pass by. We've got to fly by this one as we continue on our... <laughs> yeah, he saw what I did there.
2: Yeah, he did. Um,
0: but nonetheless, extraordinarily important. And if you want to see some pretty trippy, awesome pictures of Venus. You can thank Magellan for it. Just Google Venus surface and you'll see it. Uh, Cassini-Huygens. Probably the absolutely most successful mission that NASA has ever sent to the outer solar system. Well, it It wasn't just NASA. Well, that's true. It also went to the European Space Agency. And Italy. And Italy. You know, got to throw something out there. Yeah, I got to get a contribute somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They sent spaghetti. They (laughs) did. They did. A little plate (laughs) and some Tupperware. And it's floating around Venus, or uh, Saturn now. Yep. Yep. Uh, Cassini-Huygens was, again, kind of like what Galileo was to Jupiter, Cassini is to Saturn. The idea was, okay, we flew by with Voyager, and that was great, but let's get back out there and keep studying all the cool things that we learned. And some of the most breathtaking and amazing photographs that have been taken in the 2000s have been taken by Cassini. Just these incredible views of Saturn being backlit by the sun, uh, seeing its rings in all of its glory, discovering new rings, discovering new moons, uh, discovering the way that those interact with one another. I mean, so many amazing things happen during this trip. It's, it's hard to really, to really go over and pick just one. But the thing that's most obvious that you have to focus on is Titan. So Titan, which is the largest moon orbiting Saturn, is a pretty incredible place. This is another place that we think life might exist on. And we know that Titan has these, these oceans of liquid methane. And they are, um, are pretty incredible because they cover a large quantity of the of the surface of, of Titan. So there's a good chance that you might be able to find something somewhere, right? You just got to get back there. And we did send down the Huygens probe, this neat little probe that you know, went down, survived on the surfaces of Titan for, you know, a few minutes and, and did what it needed to do, which was a lot of really great, you know, photographs and understanding a little bit more about the atmosphere of, of Titan and proving that these pools, in fact, were, were methane. And it, it doesn't sound like it's all that significant, but if you go online and you watch the video of the descent of mm-hmm. the Huygens probe, you can just see how spectacular it really is. I mean, it is a truly alien landscape, like nothing else in our solar system.
1: And just for time context, this happened, um, it did its first orbit of Saturn in 2004, and it did the soft landing on Titan um, in
0: 2005. That's right, launching in in 1997. It takes time to get out there, folks. Takes a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's not not a quick process. But the the mission's been going on now for 17 years. That's crazy. Which is a long time. And uh, it's been around Saturn for now 10 years, and it's still going, folks. And there's no plans. I mean, they keep extending its mission, Again and again and again and again and again. Uh, It's made 206 complete orbits. It's taken over 300,000 images. Wow. Uh, It's performed 291 separate uh, engine burns in order to get itself all around. It has sent over 514 gigabytes of data. Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. To be transferred at that distance. And you know, Galileo had all kinds of problems with this because its primary antenna pretty much failed, and they had to use like a, a secondary antenna to do a lot and kind of pick up on it. So it took forever to send stuff with Galileo, with with Cassini, not a problem. Everything was being able to send just fine. It discovered seven moons, and it's time that it has been there um discovered. Yeah. And over 3,000 scientific papers have been published on the data that has come back from this probe. Wow. So when I talk about it being really the most successful thing that NASA's ever sent out there.
1: Yeah, that's legit.
0: It really is. I'm not just I'm not just uh Making that up. And oh, I yeah. encourage you to go and, and have a look at some of these really incredible, breathtaking, gorgeous photos that Cassini has sent back. Uh, and there's also the cool thing about Enceladus, which is another one of its moons, which actually has these plumes of water that are being shot out, these massive geysers. If you think of kind of like Yellowstone, it's shooting out all this material into into space. And uh, Enceladus is another very likely candidate for having life in our souls you
2: said shooting right because that was a little it was a little short on the uh, sound it was shooting shooting brian. it was shooting shooting okay <laughs> just clarifying because it <laughs> sounded thank you brian a bit I mean... fecal <laughs> <laughs> good
1: lord <laughs> Moving right along.
0: Moving right along. Uh, a couple of notable mentions here. Uh, the Messenger probe, which has just recently met its death on the surface of Mercury, uh, spent more time around Mercury, examining Mercury than any other probe had in quite a long time. In fact, nothing had even been there since uh, 1975 when Mariner 10 flew by. Mm-hmm. So it had been a long time since uh, we sent anything out there. And uh, it was the first spacecraft to ever actually orbit Mercury
1: Yeah, I did that in 2011
0: That's right So that's happened pretty, pretty, you know, recently uh, And really provided some pretty breathtaking and amazing photographs of the I mean, it really mer-
1: pays off yeah. to take all your probes to like, you know, photography classes and stuff like that I'm hearing, you know, that's
0: you got to start them early <laughs> That's critical As soon as that camera's manufactured, you got to get them out there Yep So you start with like nature photography Yeah, exactly you Portraits, to urban. headshots Yeah, exactly, yeah <laughs> Then low altitude, and then, hey, before you know it, you're a Mercury. <laughs> uh, so, Messenger, got to give you a mention, of course. But we also have to talk about Dawn. Yes. Real quick. So, Dawn. Ooh, so cool. Let's go out into the asteroid belt. What? Look around out there. There's cool stuff out there, guys. Like Vesta, which is the one of the second largest asteroid out there on the asteroid belt. Absolutely massive. Kind of like a potato. Again, common shape for asteroids, as we all know. Uh, and, uh, Dawn made its, it's pretty spectacular flyby, but what it really wanted to do, it was just a stop, right? Stopped at Vesta, because where it really wanted to go is Ceres.
1: Yes. The, it was the first orbit of a dwarf planet. I
0: know. Period. I know. And it just happened. I
1: know. And it's so topical. It's killing me. I love it. That happened ah! on March 6th, 2015.
0: Yeah. That's, that's how topical it is. That, that's when it entered into orbit. And now that it's been a little more than a month, we're... We're actually getting some real close-up images of the dwarf planet. And it's 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 absolutely gorgeous. It's so incredible. And what we're finding are all sorts of mysteries on the surface.
1: Eric, do you think anything in space is ugly? I mean, you're just uh, like, this is like, you're like, this is really pretty. That's uh, gorgeous. Oh, beautiful pictures. Do you think anything in space is ugly?
0: I I don't think I do. Okay. I really don't. I mean I'm trying to think about it, and i I just I, everything I see up there some people just see like a bland gray barren crater and I just I see wonder and discovery and I see I, I imagine myself there looking out and how can you not think that's beautiful I mean
1: how poetic
0: yeah no really I mean that's just I put myself on those worlds and i and I see them for what they are, and they are absolutely incredible and that's I love that yeah, well thank you, thank you very much um and Dawn is, is orbiting this absolutely extraordinary place right now. And there's these mysterious bright white spots. What we thought were just two are actually multiple white spots, all kind of grouped closely together. And Could they very well likely be liquid ice on the surface? That seems most likely, right? But we're going to continue to do further examination. And in a future episode, we might just very well, maybe just briefly, mention some, uh, some discoveries that are being made. Mm. Um, We've got to talk about Rosetta. Yes, but to land on a comet.
1: Yes, make a planned and soft landing on a comet.
0: And it kind of, sort of worked.
1: And that did that last year, last November. It did twenty fourteen.
0: Yeah, and it, and it 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 mostly worked. Uh, Rosetta is still in orbit around was it uh, P P is sixty seven P P sixty seven P and some Russian name afterwards. Yeah, and it is. Um, it's doing its thing. It's examining this comet. The comet's moving, course, closer to the sun, as comets do. And it's starting to heat things up. And when that happens, the, uh, the ice and dust on that comet start getting ejected, and the gases start being released. And that's when some of the scientific equipment really is going to kick in and provide some even more interesting uh, information for us. But uh, the hope is that uh, the lander they sent down, that Philae, the lander, might actually kind of come back to life. Oh wow. The problem was when it landed, it, it liked landing so much it did it two more times. Oh god. <laughs> they had this really clever idea of using grappling hooks to actually shoot down into the surface of the comet and tether it and then pull it down. Okay. And secure it. Or else because it has, you know, so little gravity and it's also, you know, yeah. traveling at such a speed and what just kinda of wants to bounce right off back into space. And they, they deployed, but they didn't actually grab onto anything. Uh-oh. So it landed and then we went all the way Bounced. up and <laughs> very slowly came down again and went we <laughs> and landed one more time and kind of fell on its side and got obstructed <laughs> by a crater. So, okay, great. You know, or boulder, there's a big shadow cast on it. And the problem is it needs sunlight to, to power its solar panels oh, and yeah. it just wasn't getting enough, just a trickle. was getting through. So they're hoping as it gets closer to the sun, it might start getting some more direct sunlight and and come back to life. So we'll put a bookmark on that one for now. And we will finish with New Horizons.
1: New Horizons.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to make a statement.
1: Okay. You have the floor.
0: In the fourth grade, I was tasked with doing a science project on Pluto. Pluto. I spent weeks preparing for this project.
1: Not surprised.
0: It was spectacular.
1: I'm sure it was.
0: My Reason speech. 3D. My speech <laughs> was heralded as the best speech given in the entire year,
1: ever by anyone ever. Not you, even the president. Folks, did if, you have that.
2: The, uh, if you can just see the <laughs> earnestness in Eric's eyes right now, only matched by the soft. White glow of his iPad just below his face. <laughs> it is really astounding. Yeah, the look. This is this is like an amazing cinematic moment. It really is. I'm serious. I was proud. I was so proud to talk about this glorious planet.
1: Yep, they almost gave him the Nobel Peace Prize.
2: Almost. <laughs> I was on the list. I was robbed. Thanks, Obama.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Keep going. <laughs>
2: and um i'm saying that you didn't get awarded thanks obama never mind continue anyway yeah. and then neil degrasse tyson went and screwed it all up now i gotta say
0: <laughs> i love the man i really do he's a good guy he's just a little misguided he's a little misguided pluto can be a planet Ceres can be a planet well they're dwarf planets that's very insulting <laughs> they are planets In their own right. And they're spectacular. And you know what? Yeah, we're discovering stuff out there bigger than Pluto. You know what that can be? A planet. Let's have lots of freaking planets. It's okay. Who said we had to have a set number of goddamn planets?
2: But nine makes it just sound so (laughs) well-rounded. But there's not anymore. (laughs) That's my point! (laughs) Well, you gotta keep things even, too, so 8 makes sense. No!
0: (laughs) Have 14, have 15, have 20! Who cares? Don't demote a planet. There's a whole place named after Pluto now. What are they supposed to do? Now they're named after a dwarf planet. Is that fair? I don't think so. Did anyone think about that community? No. Well, I did, and my dad did, too. And my dad happens to feel the same way about this that I do. And i got a problem with it. And you know what? I'm hoping in a couple of months' time to lead a revolution. I want P- Pluto back, and I think I think it can happen. But, but I need your support.
1: But that's going to make my Revolve in Peace Pluto sweater irrelevant.
0: It think will of have a, my sweater. It Eric. will have a place in history <laughs> alongside Pluto. Can like I? But Pluto say, was there
2: first. I think that'd be funny if we all of a sudden get a transmission. NASA gets a transmission. It appears to be coming from Pluto. And the, Pl- the Plutonian people express their discontent and their, their offense to being demoted to being a dwarf planet.
0: What if... And they demand recompense. And we have to send Neil deGrasse Tyson to Pluto. No, don't do that. We'll keep him.
1: All right. So enough, enough complaining about Pluto. Let's talk about the awesome stuff with Pluto. Okay,
0: all right, fine. So New Horizons, on its way there right now, left in 2005, been doing its thing for about nine years now, and we are so close. In fact, we've already got our best pictures of Pluto that we've ever had using Lori. I know what you're thinking. Lori. We finally found a reason for Lori from The Walking Dead. <laughs> finally. Yeah, okay. In fact, that's why she left the show, but... um no, we're talking about their. It's it's long she reconnaissance. She was
1: just fine on the show.
0: She was just fine. Yeah, that will be a jerk. She gets a lot of crap. That's yeah. true. Yeah, uh, Lori is giving us some really great views of Pluto and Charon. It's a uh, companion. It's moon, if you will. Even though they tend to orbit one another, kind of an interesting relationship. We'll learn more about that soon. Uh, but we're kind of going back to the old flyby style, right? So we're not going to spend a lot of time. In orbit around Pluto, so I'm sorry, folks. In fact, we're not going to spend any time in orbit around Pluto. We're going by real quick, but for those first few months where we're, we're getting, getting real a close, a lot of awesome
1: pictures. Oh
0: my God, it's going to be gorgeous. And, and it's
1: we're looking and we're seeing that it's not exactly a blue planet, right? Like everybody always kind of thought it was blue.
0: Everyone, so like in my report, yeah, my masterful report. Yes, I I
1: have your, to admit your there grade was thesis? One, that's
2: right. There was one flaw, <laughs> and that is I made it kind of gray. Mm. I made mean, mine kind of great too, because I also did a Pluto report. There we the go, folks. There grade.
0: we Brian's gotta compete with me. He's also one grade higher while he's doing it. uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. So can't just let me have my moment, can you?
2: No. 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 Can't. Actually, really, it actually makes you smarter because you're doing it a grade earlier than I am. So There you go, Brian, pointing out some more flaws in my <laughs> logic. <laughs> yeah, just give me a break.
1: But yeah, so what color does it actually look like?
0: It's sort of peachy. Oh. Well. It's like a big fuzzy peach. Until we get closer, we discover it's a big cratery peach. But uh, it's, it's going to be really jaw-droppingly spectacular. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping it will help me when I lead the revolution. Because <laughs> I want Pluto back. There's nothing that says we cannot reinstate its status as a planet. Or I'm going to propose honorary planet. Honorary planet. Discovered as a planet, should stay as a planet all i'm saying and when people see it up close in person i feel like we're gonna have our 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 flag to rally around i'm working on it already i just have i have a peach (laughs) that i've been using
1: oh god
2: and i'm just i'm waiting for it to you know inside the peach is a caterpillar a spider uh and a little boy named james (laughs) (laughs) yes which symbolize our 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 desire
0: um, to reinstate Pluto.
1: I just, I feel like I'm not hearing a solid argument as to why it should be a planet. I'm just...
2: It's round. Look, does <laughs> it have, Does it, I think it has a moon. Okay. Does it have its own gravitational pull? Well, yeah, but so do you. Yeah. Fair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a billion planets! We're not, we're, you know
0: we're not going to get into the planet argument. Okay. I, I get why it was demoted. I just don't agree with it. Okay. I feel like more planets is better than less. You know, kids are smart. They like space. They can handle like 15 planets. Okay. It's not a big deal. All right. And they all have really wicked awesome names. Cool. So they're going to want to learn about
2: them. Sure. Way cooler. Or, let me let me propose a yeah. compromise here. Yeah. You work the inner solar system early on. You do the middle solar system in fourth and fifth grade. You save the outer solar system for high school astronomy. Yeah.
0: Perfect. I love Bam. it. Bam.
2: Boom. Solutions. Done.
0: Brian, you're part of the revolution. Thank you. Do I get a badge? Uh, You get stripes. (laughs) You could decide where you want to wear them. And a
1: red red armband, because that's where this is going.
2: (laughs) It's peach colored. Oh, I'm sorry. A peach peach colored armband. Thank you. Yes. We're still working on the secret handshake.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Start working on your hamstrings right now (laughs) for all that goose (laughs) stepping. Anyway.
0: (laughs) The point is, folks... There is incredible science to be done in our solar system. We aren't finished. We don't need to cut funding. We don't need to go looking for funding elsewhere. We don't have to form societies just to support exploration of space. Our our government has proven that it can supply NASA with the funds that it needs to do its job if it simply gives it the money that it needs. And it does an amazing job. Even when it fails, it still does so in a really fantastic way. So, you know, folks, it it starts with you guys. Because the space race wouldn't have happened if the sentiment in the United States wasn't to beat the Russians. And I know, hey, okay, maybe not the greatest reason to go to the moon. Science maybe should have been first. But it wasn't, and it doesn't matter. It was the sentiment that got us there. And we can reinvigorate that sentiment around science and the discovery of new life, life beyond our planet, if people get behind it and actually say something and, and and make a big stink about it.
1: Well, and I think Curiosity helped with that a lot. I think I think that reinvigor- reinvigorated a lot of interest. Um, and then there's, you know, and I think also the, you know, in the private sector of space exploration, I know you have some very strong opinions on that, Eric. We're not going to get into it because we <laughs> clearly do not have time. If people want to have a dialogue with Eric about that, you can write into us. Um, but I think a lot of that is generating a lot of interest still. So, it's it's a new and exciting time. I wouldn't say it's the second space race because I don't think we're like in a race with anybody, but you know, there's definitely a significant um, amount of heightened interest right now. So,
0: let's keep it going. Yep. So folks, if you've found these past two episodes interesting, as of course I have. Yep. Uh, there's a lot for you to go out and research and to be surrounding yourself with And there's a lot of great ways that you can do it. There's a lot of local planetariums. There's a lot of local observatories that I'm sure that are nearby that can give you a lot of great insight into all this if you want to kind of first-hand experiences. If you're in the Bay Area, there's all sorts of cool places that you can go to, like Lick Observatory, Chabot... Uh, the Academy of Sciences, you can go check out uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratories. They have a place where you can go and kind of a uh, visitor center where you can go and visit. You can go to Moffett Field. So that's just here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we know, of course, our listeners are from around the world. So go out, seek these places, learn, and continue to support, inspire. Yes. And explore.
1: Dig through the depths of the internet. And also, um, write into us and let us know, hey, what are the really cool um, ways that you can observe space stuff and learn about um, space exploration and planets and stars and all that stuff in your neighborhood? Let us know and we'll share it with everybody.
0: And a big I'm sorry to everything else that I wasn't able to mention over the past two episodes because I know, I know, I'm going to get feedback. Eric, I can't believe you did not acknowledge this highly important space probe that was hey, sent out. Hey,
1: hey, hey, Don't mock our listeners. I'm not Be mocking nice. anybody. You were doing a mocking voice.
0: That's a real person. <laughs> sounds He's highly insulted. Okay. Um, I'm just saying, folks, yes, I know. I couldn't possibly touch on everything, and I know I missed a lot in that regard, and there's a lot that these amazing probes that I did talk about did that I probably couldn't mention, but go out. It's a start. Find out for yourself
2: exactly. It is. Uh, let's get into feedback, shall we?
1: We shall.
2: This
0: week in
2: this enough feedback. We have a lot of feedback to actually get through. We won't get through all of it this episode because we obviously want to save some for next time. But uh, since Eric did most of the talking, how about I just power through the thank feedback. God Go I'm so freaking tired? Good. Uh, first feedback, real quick, from Vincent from Paris uh, says, A numbers NOH, yes, please. Uh, hi, nerds. Just heard the Easter NOH episode. I was most amused by same name, but different aspect of Easter. Diversity is a blessing, right? Great job and fun to listen. By the way, in French, uh, paques is pronounced with P-A-K, and the S is actually silent. So it's actually just pock. Mm-hmm. Um, very so, helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, finally, if you do indulge in a numbers episode, please, please, please watch The Code by Marcus Du Satoy. It is so interesting. I'm sure it will help trigger additional connections between numbers and everything else. Thank you very much. He also mentions that there's connections between numbers and other major religions. So thank you for that. Also related to the history, the Easter episode, uh, History of the Church from Russ. Oh, hi-ho, nerds, specifically Brian, on the last NOH, Ooey gooey Cream Puff Jesus. You made several mentions to the Council of Nicaea and Councils of Jerusalem. I was wondering if you could... Name some books as references to history of the church, uh, as well, uh, I just don't know it as well as I would like to. Uh, Anything you could suggest could be great. I will be honest with you. I wouldn't be able to mention any books, but one place I can reference you to is Vatican.va. The history of the catechism is fascinating, and the Vatican itself just has a ton of great information, basic things that you can refer to. You can also refer to... See, now that
0: surprises me.
2: What? The, The Vatican... Oh, yeah, whatever. Um I will say there's another website you can look at called Vatican or sorry uh, Catholic I do want to warn you; it does have a, a conservative bias to it. It is not a completely uh, informational site. It does have a bit of a, of an apologetic um, approach to it. And see, that dependent. surprises me.
1: <laughs> Eric, shush.
2: So, just giving you fair warning there. Um, but it is a good resource. They do talk about where certain teachings come from and where uh, what Church Father. Uh, was the person who mentioned it. Uh, we also got one from our good old buddy Joshua, our youngest listener. Uh, he had a couple of suggestions he wanted to throw out there for N.O.H. episodes. One is the life and work of Benjamin Franklin, uh, because he was an immensely interesting person, and I would love to hear yeah. you nerds talk about him.
1: Very yeah. interesting. Yes. <laughs> the ladies loved him. And very
2: <laughs> immense. Uh <laughs>
1: Is would... our 15-year-old listener? Yeah. Okay, you're good to listen to Nerds on History. Stop listening to Nerds on Film. Don't make me tell your mother.
2: <laughs> and secondly, Eric, I think you would love this, a history of puzzles <gasps> from the jigsaw puzzle to the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> I have in
0: my collection probably 50 or 60 jigsaw puzzles at this point. Yep. I love jigsaw puzzles. I've been doing them since I was two. Yes, they help him de-stress. They do. They help lower his blood pressure. They do. Especially after recording with Brian on an Ah. episode like this. In fact, I'm going to go do a jigsaw puzzle
2: right now. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Eric. Oh, Eric. Uh, I think that's what we'll save for now. Uh, We'll touch base with the next ones on the next exciting episode. Um, Thank you guys for your feedback. If you do want to give us more, you can do so by going to nerdonomy.com and clicking on the talk to us link and tell us Sarah what else can our listeners do when they go to nerdonomy.com
1: they can also dig through our backlog of episodes there's a lot to catch up on if you guys are new listeners you can go to our merch page and you merch page and you can buy a t-shirt you can um find any sort of little button that says donate And give us just a little bit of cash. We wouldn't hate it. Um, If you don't want to donate to us, I also suggest you can um, pop over to your favorite charitable website and donate to Nepal. They need a lot of extra help. Um, Other things you can do, you can uh, visit us on Facebook. You can visit us on Instagram. You can visit us on Twitter. Just search Nerdonomy. You'll find us. I promise. And while you're um, checking us out, head on over to iTunes. Give us a review. Couldn't hurt. <laughs> and also, tell your friends about us. Spread the word of nerd. We've got a lot to say clearly, and we want to tell it to everybody. So help us out.
2: Folks, this is episode 118. Just to give you a heads up, there's a whole wealth, the Now, the full backlog is now, again, available on the iTunes Ooh. store for you to... Thanks for that, Brian. You're welcome. Uh, for you to enjoy and, you know, tell your friends about. Yeah. Play it, put it on at a poker party. I guarantee it's going to go over famously. Yeah. Especially strip poker. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it I is think. that time. It is that time. So nerds, until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya. Space. Meanwhile, back on Earth.
1: Wow. what a wacky adventure that was! See, I, I can't believe we got out of that.
2: I told you guys, headbutting solution. Clearly. Who who, who would have figured? Yeah.
1: That's insane.
2: Does but, anyone else feel like something's missing though? Uh,
1: spectacles, testicles, watch and wallet. No, we're
0: good. I no, got um, all my stuff. Wait, wait, wait.
2: I what's, that, what's that sound?
0: Whoa! Whoa!
1: What the? Brian, is but... that your phone?
2: Yeah, that's definitely my phone. Uh, hang on. Uh, hello? 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 Uh, hello? 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 Hello.
0: Yes, hello. You hear me? Yes?
2: Uh, Yeah, you're coming in loud and clear.
0: All right. You left phone on space station. Oh. You do not leave in bathroom.
1: Oh, I do that all the time. Not
0: in space. Understand? Oh, sure. I have to say, though, I've been listening to show. Oh. I have problem. Russia is very, very good at sending things up into space. Russia is very, very good at bringing things down from space.
2: No, you can't argue with that.
0: Yeah. 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 uh That's right. Thank you, I have little bit of listener feedback. Uh, I, I actually think. gotta go.
2: uh see you later. Bye Wow <sighs> Well, I will say this. the screen isn't cracked.
1: Hm, mm, go apple. go yeah. Russia, but mostly apple.